Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 424 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. The early decision deadline has passed. It's been a few weeks since we've talked to you, but we are back to get into the Duke basketball roster, specifically the roster as it pertains to this upcoming season and the fact that Trevor Keels will not be on it. I am your host, Sam Klein. I am coming to you, as I often do, from my home in Boston. I am joined, as I often am, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Donald, sir, how you been? Where you been? It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, It's good to see you both. Um, I was in Cincinnati last night for uh, the men's national team game against Morocco, which was an awesome game uh, to watch if you guys are on in the soccer world like I am uh, going to Kansas City this weekend, which I was in last weekend, and then further trips down the line to Austin and El Salvador are on the horizon. So uh, it's been a busy few weeks for me, but uh, it's, it's starting to the travel is picked up right now. But it's been good, and I'm glad that we're going to take a pause. I'm back here in D.C. just specifically so I could talk to basketball with you two. Jason Evans is also here. Jason, where have you been the last couple of weeks? I have been home. Um, actually, I went to Miami very briefly uh, for my nephew's graduation. And other than that, I've been home. My summer is going to be very homebound because my wife and I, after years and years of talking about it, are finally going to do a major renovation of our house. Um, we're basically gutting the entire ground floor. And uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, talking to contractors about decisions about what colors to make the doorknobs and stuff like that. <laughs> Are you, is it one of those renovations where you're going to have to like leave your home or is it one where you're just going to confine yourself to the other 87 bedrooms? There are not 87 other bedrooms, but yes, we will be, we will be leaving the home um, for, uh, for at least part of the time, because first of all, when they, when they do the, they're going to refinish the floors, when they refinish the floors, if you decide to stay in the house, it basically means you're going to die <laughs> because of the fumes. Oh, the fumes. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and also we will not have a kitchen. I mean, part of this is completely redoing our kitchen. We could potentially like move into our upstairs or our basement and live out of a microwave, but we're probably not going to, we're going to move in with my mom for a couple of weeks. Well, good luck with that. Uh, it seems like there could be all, all sorts of danger. I, uh, I'm more in the Donald's camp. I've been but, uh, Sam, Sam, the, yes. the danger, by the way, is to my wallet. You, you don't want to know what this bill is going to be. <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I have an idea and I'm no, thank God. This is why this is why I rent. <laughs> thank God. We're, uh, thank God we're back here to, uh, to collect those deep podcast checks so that uh, <laughs> you can, you can afford these renovations. I was, uh, I guess more in the Donald's camp. I was, I was, uh, out of town away from home for the last, like, almost two weeks, like week and a half, uh, visited, uh, visited some family in New York city. I was out at a, uh, at a bluegrass festival in, in Western Maryland last week. If you're, uh, if you're into that sort of thing, you can probably guess where I was, uh, cause how many of, how many bluegrass festivals are there in Western Maryland at the end of May? And, uh, and, uh, I visited my family for a couple of days. I was at a bachelor party. Uh, I'm back home now in Boston. So I'm, I'm very tired. I'm discombobulated, but I am, I'm ready to talk about, about all the headlines. The, by the way, I said we're going to talk a lot about the Duke roster. The NBA Finals begins tonight, and Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics are are in it. So that is also exciting. I don't know how much time we're going to get to devote to that today, but uh, certainly if, uh, if if Tatum's playing well and the Celtics are playing well, then we'll have to get back on here and discuss not only because 
he's one of our guys, but because uh, if that's happening, it means that maybe I get to be in the middle of a, uh, of a pretty fun playoff celebration here. There was an interesting discussion on the Duke basketball report bulletin boards. This is everyone agrees the first time that a Duke player, a Duke alumnus has been the best player on a team playing in the finals. I mean, people talk about Kyrie Irving, Kyrie, you know, won a ring in Cleveland. I mean, there've been other Dukies who won rings, but when, and and Kyrie was a great player on that Cleveland team, but he was the second best player. LeBron James is the best player on that team. Jason Tatum is unquestionably the best player on the Boston Celtics. He has a very real chance to win a ring, which would be an unprecedented thing for, for Duke basketball. I, I, I will not, I will not sit here and, and listen to the slander of Danny Ferry and, and, and Shane Battier. Okay. <laughs> These guys earned their rings. I mean, Shane was they part of the rings. Eagles. We're, we're not, we're Wait, not, disputing, I am not that. disputing. I'm not disputing that <laughs> at all. And I, and in fact, uh, Miami needed, I mean, Shane provided a lot of stuff for those Miami teams. Shane was, Shane was, needed. Shane was not the MVP of the finals, but he was the most valuable player of that team. If that makes sense. I, I, I hear no that complaint. and, and yeah. you won't, you won't hear disagreements from Duke fans about that sort of thing. So, so we look forward to that. I was looking guys at, uh, at StubHub tickets for game six. I'm going to be out of town next weekend for a wedding for one of my best friends from Duke. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to be here when the Celtics are in town, but I'll be back in time for game six. The get in price on StubHub at the moment is just over a thousand dollars. So I'm not sure that I'm going to make it slow. It's but, not that bad. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see it's how still early. Progress. It's still early. Wait, wait until still early, yeah. the game time. Ticket yeah. prices will go down. Lessons, lessons have been learned. Okay, let's get into Trevor Keels and the Duke roster. So as, as you, the Duke fan, may already be aware, as of uh, Thursday afternoon, Trevor Keels has decided to stay in the draft. The deadline has passed for guys who entered the draft to, to pull their names out and return to college. So Trevor Keels is gone, which is mostly, I think, what we expected to happen. There was a chance over the last few weeks that he was going to decide based on the feedback he was getting from NBA teams, based on his own situation, that it might make more sense for him to come back to college. He has decided that is not the case. So Trevor Keels is out. Duke has not yet secured a commitment from anyone who would definitely plug into that starting shooting guard role, that that extra wing player, the non-ball handler role that Trevor Keels mostly filled last season. Also, I, I think that this news happened sort of since we – uh, since we last spoke, Joey Baker has decided to transfer. So he's going to be, he's not going to be returning to Duke. No, no, next Sam, season. we did a whole episode on that. We did a whole episode. <laughs> it's been so I, wait, long. I think, you know what, Sam, you were not here for that episode. Oh, I so I, I, I get yeah. past. Joey Baker's not coming. I have so, no, I don't. I don't have any thoughts left about Joey Baker. Uh, Joey Baker's not coming back. Not that he was likely to be the starting uh, shooting guard anyway, but he would have been depth at that position. So Duke is still. Uh, I would not say desperately, but is still very much uh, in the hunt for a another starting wing player to complement the uh, the the nice set of of ball handling and and larger wing talent that is returning to the team next season. So maybe we can just spend a couple minutes on you know lamenting the fact that Trevor Keels is not is not returning, and then we can turn I think more interestingly to the guys who might be filling his role next season. So Jason, let me send it to you first. Uh, thoughts on Trevor Keel staying in the draft, and and then we'll uh, we'll come back and 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 speculate on who's left. We also know because we talked about him a couple times. AJ Green was a was a big target for Duke. He also is keeping his name in the draft. There was there was talk that he might return to college and decide to transfer, but he's also out. So thoughts on Trevor Keels? 
there are people out there who are going to tell you that this was decided a while ago that Trevor Keels, as soon as he put his name into the draft, that there was never much of a chance of him coming back. I'm here to tell you that I think those people are absolutely wrong. I think that this was a very difficult decision for Trevor Keels. I trust John Shire. I trust the word that we've been getting from the Duke program that Trevor was truly torn and did not know what he was going to do. He made one of the last decisions of the guys who were you know, on the fence, who were waffling. I think there were like less than five guys left of the 30, 40, 50 or so who, who hadn't decided whether they were going to come back to college or whether they're going to stay in the draft. There were like only four or five of them left by the time Trevor made his decision after 10 PM last night, um, you know, within a couple hours of the deadline. And, and I truly believe that, that I, there was a report, uh, Jeff Goodman said earlier in the day that Trevor truly did not know what to do. I don't fault him one bit for making the decision he did. I think Trevor Keels, I, I, I hope that he has uh, success in the draft. I hope he has success in the NBA. I expect he will. But this was not an easy decision to make because Trevor Keels, as we spoke about a, a few weeks ago, didn't do that great at the NBA Combine in terms of testing. And there were some real questions about, you know, is Trevor Keels going to be a first-round draft pick? Where is he, if not a first rounder, where does he go in the second round? Does he perhaps miss out on big guaranteed money? Could he make a lot, lot more by coming back to school and developing his skills? And we heard repeatedly that there were NBA scouts who were telling Trevor Keels, look, going back to school may not be a bad idea for you, son. Uh, but in the end, he made the choice that he discussed with his family, that he discussed with the Duke staff. I'm sure he discussed it with NBA scouts. And I got no problem with it. Uh, it's it's unfortunate for Duke from a basketball standpoint. It is not unfortunate for Duke from the standpoint of the fact that we continue to produce a tremendous number of professional basketball players who are really, really good at the sport and really, really good at it because they, they got time at Duke to learn how to be pros. And Trevor Keels will be one of them. Um, and it's, you know, like I said, it's both unfortunate and also something to celebrate at the same time. Exactly. We, we, we can't get too upset at Trevor Keels for making a decision like this. Donald, any uh, final thoughts on Trevor Keels before we pivot to all the guys who might replace him? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it just like when he declared, I knew it was a difficult decision for him, but in the end, he bet on himself. And that's what he's doing in this NBA draft, just like every other player. I mean, in a way, each of these players are betting on themselves and saying, hey, I can make it at the next level and a team is going to take me in this draft. And I think there is going to be a team that takes Trevor Keels in this draft where he, we'll talk about uh, later on where we think he'll slide into this draft or where he might end up and where he actually does end up. But uh, Trevor, Trevor Keels is a great player. Um, we saw flashes of what he can do and be a dominant player um, at the next level. And I think in the end, that dream was what he wanted to go for. And he may have been torn about going back to school and, and considered it, but I always thought when he declared that he was going to bet on himself and he was going to remain in this draft. And I think I've kind of uh, made it where his de it's not necessarily a departure for, for me. It would have been great to have him have him back next year. But I do think that he is going to be a, a great, great NBA player. So I'm looking forward to watching him at the next level. And hopefully uh, he lands in a great situation um, in the NBA with a team that can cultivate his talent and take it to uh, the heights that I think he can go. Look, really quick, my last word on Trevor Keels, 
two things. First one is there is now a possibility. I'm not going to say it's likely, but there's a possibility that Duke is going to have five first round draft picks. Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore are the guys that could go in the first round. Uh, again, I don't think it's super likely, but it could happen. And that would be a big deal. I believe that would be a record. Um, it would certainly be a Duke record. Five guys in the first round, uh, unbelievable. But then the other thing I wanted to mention is about Trevor Keels. We will always, always, always have November 9th against Kentucky. Uh, the very first game for Trevor Keels in a Duke uniform. And I think clearly his best game of the entire year and the game that, you know, vaulted him onto the NBA radar where he really in the second half with Paulo Bancaro suffering from cramps, Trevor Keels took over the ball game against a really, really good Kentucky team and announced this Duke team as being a national title contender. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how you can look back on Trevor Keels' career at Duke and not say that that moment, his first moment at Duke, was a, a, a real major mark for this program um, and, and for Coach K's last season to get it off to a, just an incredible start. Yeah, heading into the season, I, I think we expected him to be the third best freshman on the team. And there were stretches this season where he was the best freshman on the team, including uh, that night, despite the fact that Paula Bancaro came on very strong right at the beginning of the season. Guys, let, let's pivot, I think, to the more interesting conversation, which is who's going to be taking notionally Trevor Keels' spot next year. We mentioned and we've talked about A.J. Green a few times on this podcast. He's also remaining in the NBA draft, so he's out. Donald, I'm going to come to you first. There have been a number of names that have come up uh, for Duke in that in the in the transfer portal as far as the starting shooting guard role goes uh courtney ramey from from texas is one of them but but what are you seeing from all the all the chatter that's out there about who duke might get and are any of them guys that in particular you're rooting for john shire to pluck from the transfer portal yeah and i know jason has uh some insight on isaiah mosley but i think the two that it seems in the like the last day or so that it seems that Duke has been focusing in on is Ramey and Jacob Grandison, um, the Illinois guard. So um, we've heard his name in the last couple of weeks. Ramey's one we've heard recently. And honestly, I've seen a lot of Ramey uh, play uh, in the Big 12 last year when he was at Texas. He, I think he would be a great complement to this team. Uh, you know, 6'3", he can, you know, I, I, I think the thing about these guys is that they're all old. And I don't mean that in a bad way. We need leadership that's veteran style. We, you know, a lot of teams over the last few years that have done well in the NCAA tournament have been uh, teams that have guys that are 23, 24 years old that are men that are playing uh, in the in college still. So I think we still have that opportunity for a guy to come in and really bring the leadership, bring uh, the experience, and and really have an experienced backcourt with a guy that is you know a fifth year senior uh, or super senior in this case or as well as Jeremy Roach, who's going to be a junior, having a, a veteran backcourt is going to be so, so helpful. And really, in the ACC and in the NCAA, there's not a lot of teams that can claim to have a backcourt as, you know, as with as much experience as we could have next season if we get one of these guys. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I think if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to pick Ramey. Uh, but I like what I see from all three of these guys. Jason, what are you thinking about all the options that John Shire is pursuing? Well, first of all, to echo something that Donald said, both Courtney Ramey and Jacob Grandison of Illinois are super seniors. These are guys who've already played four years of college basketball. 
And uh, like Donald said, hugely, hugely important to have guys with that much experience. Uh, to me, they're somewhat similar kind of guys in that neither one of them are going to come in and be elite scorers. I think, you know, some of the, like when we were looking at AJ Green, that was a guy who, who you were going to say, well, there's a chance this guy leads Duke in scoring next year. If, if he comes, you know, and, and fills this role, neither Grandison or Ramey are that kind of score. They both averaged around 10 points per game last year. They're both really good outside shooters. Grandison's probably a little better from the, from the perimeter. He hit better than 41% each of his past two seasons. Ramey was around 35% last year, although he hit 41% of his threes two years ago as a junior. So these are both guys who are definitely able to shoot from the perimeter. Um, the thing I love about Ramey and, and the reason I think I want him the most is that he's a dynamite defender, uh, really uh, an elite defender. Folks at Kansas will tell you that uh, Oche Abaji, who, you know, one of the best players in the country last year, Abaji said that the toughest defensive matchup he had in the Big 12 last year was playing against Courtney Ramey of Texas. That's, that's some heady praise. The other reason I like Ramey is, we've talked about this with these transfers, they all seem to have this Duke connection Courtney Ramey, believe it or not, has a Duke connection. Do you know who recruited him to Texas? His, his assistant coach at Texas, his first couple of years there, was, was Jay, Jay Lucas, Lucas uh, who is now on the Duke staff. And, 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 and Jay Lucas is someone who's been connected to Texas and the, you know, the, the Texas area for a very, very long time. There is little question that Courtney Ramey knows Jay Lucas really well, and, and that could allow this transfer possibility to happen super quickly which would be fabulous if you ask me i'd love to get this filled and done and and be really thinking you know get these guys on campus and get them working together i did want to mention there is you know i talked about the fact that um ramey and grandison are guys who are not you know known as big time scorers even though they're both very good shooters there is some chatter that isaiah mosley who is a very big time scorer from missouri state that isaiah mosley could be looking at Duke again, that Duke could be interested in him. Mosley was thought to be a Kansas transfer, and he, stood, he could still end up at Kansas. But Kansas um, landed uh, Kevin McCullough from Texas Tech, and they also got Jalen Wilson, um, to, who, who was in the draft, to, to withdraw from the draft and come back. And it feels like the Kansas roster is, is really starting to fill out and that there may not be a lot of room for Mosley. Kansas is also bringing in a kid named Grady Dick, who's a five-star recruit who's going to play on the wing. Um, I'm not sure that Mosley fits as well at Tech uh, at Kansas, sorry, as he might at, at some place like Duke. I mean, I, there hasn't been a lot of talk about this, but it could happen. And Isaiah Mosley's considered one of the top players in the transfer portal. He averaged better than 20 points per game, better than six rebounds per game. He hits better than 40% from three. Uh, he's an elite shot creator. Um, I mentioned the other guys that Duke was looking at would not lead the team in scoring. If Isaiah Mosley, if Duke ends up getting involved with Isaiah Mosley and he picks the Blue Devils, he absolutely would, would be a strong contender to be the leading scorer for this Duke team next year. He's not the defender that Courtney Ramey is. He's not as physical as Jacob Grandison. But Isaiah Mosley would be a really interesting recruit for Duke. He's another guy. He's not a super senior, but he's already played three years of college basketball so he's got plenty of experience those are the three names that i've heard bandied about the most for duke and look none of them is trevor keels but each of them fills an important important need for duke and if we land one of these guys i think you start to look at this duke team as being for sure a preseason top 10 team and a national title contender 
Jason, I love the the focus on defense as a as a skill that Duke is looking for in the transfer portal. There's tons of offensive talent coming to Duke next season between the big men and and the wing in in Derek Whitehead. Uh, not to mention some of the some of the returning guys. Defense is going to be uh, a I, I think should be a focus uh, in terms of the. In, then in then you're talking training. about Courtney Ramey because exactly. if, if you right. put but if you put Ramey, Roach, and Dariq Whitehead as your defensive perimeter, and remember, we've talked about how great Dariq Whitehead is on defense. You put those three guys as your def- defensive perimeter, forget about it. I mean, teams are going to be struggling to get, get into their offense. And, and look, as, as good as Dariq Whitehead's reputation is coming into college, we know that even the most elite guys have some transition period, you know, going from high school and AAU ball to, to high-level college basketball. Ramey has that experience. He's played in the Big 12, which has been arguably the best league in the country the last couple of years. And he's been playing at Texas, uh, you know, not not the best program at in the Big 12, but but uh, always, always in the tournament, always competitive. Uh, and as you mentioned, if if guys from Kansas are saying that that he's one of the toughest defenders that they're facing, that's the kind of guy that that I want on this team. And that's where the experience comes in. That's why you want some of these men on on your college basketball team because of that defensive factor because uh, yes like you said Drake Whitehead his reputation is is that he's a great and elite defender but high school basketball is different from college basketball college basketball is different than the NBA and I think when it comes to having an experienced backcourt they will be able to quickly teach these freshmen how to play college basketball defense and, and, and really that's going to help their learning curve shrink ever so much so that when it comes time to the season, we can focus on the, you know, the, you know, nitpicky stuff, but as a team, we will be focused on the defensive end. And we already have talked a lot about what we expect on the offensive end. Experienced, experienced backcourt is going to help with that immensely. By the way, Sam, you mentioned Courtney Ramey coming from the big 12, his junior year, he, he was third team, all big 12. I mean, this is, this is a guy who's a really accomplished ball player he, he his game stepped back a little bit this past year his senior year and and you know again duke's talking about him as a super senior but as a junior courtney ramey was one of the best players in the entire big 12 conference how can you not be excited about bringing someone like that in i hope it happens and as far as defensive grad transfers go duke has a great template to work off of from the success that theo john had this season playing for the blue devils you know as as Frustrating, I think, as the whole Patrick Tepe experience was. Uh, Duke fans are hopefully, uh, you know, back on the train that that grad transfers can work out really well for Duke if they're uh, if they're positioned correctly. I, I think we we would all agree that that Theo John's role on this team this past season was extremely important. He wasn't necessarily a starter. I think that if if Duke gets Ramey, he's probably getting more minutes this coming season than Theo John did last year, but. But Duke's got the template in place. Duke knows how to deploy an experienced, defensive-minded grad transfer uh, to, to his fullest potential. Well, and I'm excited for Ryan Young. I, I still think people are overlooking the impact that Ryan Young is going to have um, inside. I think he's going to be a – he's not going to be defensive-minded. He's going to be offensive-minded. But Duke hasn't had an offensive post player like that in, in, a, in a couple of years, and it's going to be fun, I think, to have someone like that who, you know, it's not going to be the rim protection that we got from Mark Williams, but but it's going to be some really um, elite footwork that you're going to see on the interior from Ryan Young. And it's something to be said about balance on your bench, right? Like you're going to have a guy who may be more focused on defense coming in for or coming off the bench 
uh, for someone who is more offensive minded, while at the same time, you know, up front, you have a guy who's defensive minded, and then you're going to bring in someone off the bench who can score. Like you're going to need a lot of balance and you because again, there's foul trouble. There's a lot of things that can happen in the basketball game. And you want to make sure you have someone who can help plug a hole at any position at any time. And I think with the, with, you know, with catchings with, with Ryan young and with whoever we get out of this group, if we can land one of these, these guys out of this group, we have three transfers that can help bring the freshmen along and also be able to plug in any hole at any moment. There were some other really interesting NBA draft decisions that happened in the past couple of days that I think are worth highlighting for the audience. In the ACC, to me, there were a couple really, really significant ones. First of all, I was really surprised, but John Butler from Florida State decided that he's going to stay in the draft. Folks will remember that when Duke lost to Florida State back in January, John Butler was the reason why. He is 7-1, and he's able to shoot three-pointers, and when Wendell Moore was taking the ball to the basket for the, for the game-winning shot, John Butler was the guy who blocked that shot. He had a great game against Duke. He was really inconsistent this year, but he's 7-1 with guard-like skills. Um, I, I think it's – I'm, I'm surprised he stayed in the draft because I thought that he – another year of seasoning, he could have really blossomed and turned himself into a lottery pick. I don't know. You know, it's possible that a team's going to go, look, I'm a, uh, you know, I'll draft this kid late first, early second – stash him in the G league. Cause he's going to need a year, maybe two years in the G league, but he could be a really great player at some point down the road. But I was, I, I'm just surprised he made the decision to go into the draft. Cause it's also possible. John Butler could go undrafted because he is super inconsistent at this point. And I'm really, I'm really surprised that Leonard Hamilton let him out of the contract that Florida state's required to have like three, seven footers on a roster at any given point. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know who they have in the transfer portal. That's seven, seven foot that can replace Butler, but uh, man, that's a really big, that's a really big get for, uh, for little Hanson. He's got to figure out a way to keep that requirement going. The, the other interesting ACC decision was Terquavion Smith at NC state, who was almost a lock to go in the first round. And you just don't hear about guys who are first round picks deciding to come back to school, but he did. It, it was, uh, I think everyone that, that might've been the most surprising decision of any decision that was made about the NBA draft. Cause he had, his athletic testing was off the charts at the NBA combine. He was one of the most athletic guys at the combine. There are people out there who tell you that Terquavion Smith is coming back to NC state and he's going to average like 22 plus points per game for them and be a potential ACC player of the year. He is that good. Um, and, and I was really surprised that he decided not to enter the draft. And then the other ones I want to talk really quickly, Gonzaga, man, Gonzaga got nobody, you know, no one significant. In terms of recruiting, um, in the in the you know current recruiting class, but then they just absolutely killed it in terms of guys entering the draft and pulling out. Julian Strother pulled out. Drew Timmy pulled out. I can't believe that Drew Timmy is coming back to school for another year. They might be the preseason number one team again. And um, Houston did really well. They got Marcus Sasser back, who's an outstanding scorer. Houston's going to be up there because of how they did and guys not going in the draft. And, and then the other team is Kansas, who, you know, I already mentioned, you know, Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson. Uh, these guys were supposed to people thought they were entering the draft and they were not going to come back and they decided to come back. Uh, I, I think you're going to see Gonzaga, Houston and Kansas all in the preseason top five, along with North Carolina. Haven't even mentioned UNC because all the UNC guys made their decisions a while ago. But it's, I, I, I bet you'll see, you know, four of the top five, top six teams in the country 
are teams that had guys who could have been drafted and decide to come back. And, you know, it's a change from what we've seen in past years from college basketball. The Kansas one is especially interesting given that, you know, we've talked in a lot of people across college basketball have talked about the impending sanctions that they could be receiving any day now uh, for those guys to kind of come back to school. And I think they were very active on the transfer portal as well. A lot of, you would think a team that is about to get hammered the way that we think Kansas is about to get hammered would have a lot of guys depart, but they've really been able to manage to keep a lot of their guys. Duke is one of the few schools where everybody who could have left did leave. It, it seems like, especially with, with NIL. That- Actually, wait, wait, let me, I'm going to push back on that because Jeremy Roach could have left. Now, I don't know that Jeremy Roach was going to get drafted or I don't know what the situation was, but it would not have been the worst NBA decision we've ever seen if Jeremy Roach had decided he was going to go into the NBA draft. So, I, and, and I would argue that, you know, based on what we had coming in, um, in terms of, you know, freshmen and, and what's sort of available in the portal and the such, uh, getting Jeremy Roach back was one of the most important decisions that Duke had happened to them this offseason. Certainly. Uh, and, and all of this is, is somewhat fluid and, 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 you know, there's a, there's like a, a loop as far as is so-and-so coming back to school. Is he not? Okay. We'll go recruit someone to replace him. Maybe we don't need to because he's coming back. And of course the, the relationships that the coaches are building with the high school recruits go back years. So they are, they are kind of priming the, the recruits for those offers that they don't know that they need to give them until, you know, this point in the year, like th- this month, the, the mid April into, into early June, or I guess month and a half or almost two months is kind of the most critical period of the year in terms of figuring out who's going to be on which rosters for the following season. So yeah, Jason, I, I think you're right that, that Jeremy Roach was a key sort of re-addition for Duke for next season. He could have left, but look at some of these other blue bloods that it feels like are bringing back a lot more of their, of their marginal NBA draft prospect talents, which in years past, you probably wouldn't have seen. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we need to check in quickly with the guys in the class of 2023 that are committed to Duke or looking at Duke for next season. Jason's got a few updates on them. So stick around. We are back and we are going to talk about the class of 2023 very quickly. But before we do that, we wanted to get to one listener mail question that that we thought was sort of pertinent to the uh, to the conversation that we're having today and the conversation it feels like that we're always having this came to us a couple weeks ago from listener John Uh, he wanted to know I'm curious about the effect of social media on our players and coaches I'm sure it varies widely but do players and coaches pay attention to fan sites magazine articles etc do they listen to your podcast read the DBR forum it's hard to imagine that I wouldn't if I were a prominent athlete or coach, but maybe they're more disciplined and care more about tweets from their peers. Guys, what do you think about uh, listener John's question about the the players reading social media? And so maybe it's a, a meta discussion. If the players, if you're out there and you're listening to us, email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you're listening. But uh, Jason, let me, let me ask you this one first. So I'll go very quickly. And I know Donald has more thoughts on this than I do. The answer, are they listening to the DBR podcast? Are they reading the DBR forums? I believe the answer is no. Occasionally, I think occasionally it happens, but not very often. I think for the most part, these guys, 
the, those kind of outlets like this podcast and the forum are about people discussing what they think is happening with the team. I think the guys who actually know what's happening with the team, they don't have time for it. <laughs> they, they're not going to bother with, with the speculation because they know the truth. But as for social media, Donald, take it away. Yeah, I mean, well, even for DBR, right? Like we've seen some players identify themselves as players, usually after their playing career is over um, on the DBR forums. But they do, I know, you know, when I was in school, there were players that looked at DBR. They may not have actively participated, but they did. It goes to show you that when you're talking about the internet, it's written in ink, ladies and gentlemen, and social media, tweets, Instagram, whatever, they are looking at this stuff especially when you bring it to their doorstep. If you're adding them on Twitter, if you're adding them, you know, DMing them on Instagram or commenting on one of their posts, the players are going to read it. And so that's where I tell people to very, be very careful because beyond the, the curtain that is Duke basketball, these players are just, you know, human beings trying to live out their lives in the way that they know how. They just happen to be really, really good at basketball and have a following as a result of that. Some you know, don't mind the people, you know, come at them if they have a bad game or they tell them, you know, F this, F Duke, whatever. But some do care. And I think people need to recognize that if you're talking about a player, and this is what we stress on, on the DBR forums all the time, uh, Jason, you know, you, know, you, Sam, and I moderate some of this discussion on there for this very reason, is that you don't need to be destructively negative about a player, like, because they will read it or they could read it. And if they could read it, would you say it to their face? The answer is probably no, but a lot of times people get on social media and they think that they can uh, put up this wall of anonymity and say whatever they want about a player. I stress you guys, they may not be actively reading DBR. They may not be actively listening to this podcast. If you are, hi, we love you. But I do think that they are reading some of the things that you guys say on social media. And if you were, especially the negative stuff, and I think people need to recognize that these guys at the end, they're just you know, 18 to 24 year old people and they want to live their lives free of, you know, people attacking them as much as possible. Yes. Some of it, you know, some of the criticism they can handle, some have tougher skin than others, but in this day and age, it's not a requirement to have tough skin to play college basketball. And some of you have to recognize that they're just people and you need to treat them as such. Yeah. You would hope that the coaching staff is telling them to avoid, 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 get off of social media, get off of, of the forums, but uh, they are fallible. They are human and they are for the most part uh, rather young. So uh, some of them can't help it. When you look at, at the, especially the, the high school guys, when you look at like their, their Twitter profiles or, or whatever else, you know, when they're recruits, I don't do this religiously. I should, I should uh, add that caveat. I'm not uh, checking out all the all the high school recruits Twitter pages and Instagram pages constantly, but I, I do find it curious, so I check in from time to time. Uh, often, especially the football guys, they're always like referencing how many stars they are, uh, retweeting like articles that are written about them, that sort of thing. So don't think that that all of this exists in a vacuum. Uh, I would think that that programs like Duke, especially the basketball program, are good at at giving their players the kind of training that will make them less susceptible to what's being said on social media. But man, at the end of the day, it's just them and their phones. So uh, some of that is inevitable. And as Donald said, some of the things that you say 
are that you, the listener, say online or that we even say on this on this podcast are very Googleable and are very likely to end up in front of those recruits or those players' faces. So just uh, just just mind your manners. So you also mentioned you mentioned that yes, they they retweet articles that you know talk highly of them or give them praise or you know give them five stars or whatever. Talk they a lot of times they'll you know you know present that hey I've been offered a scholarship by Duke University or by you know Brown or whoever. Uh, they also use the negative to their advantage as well. I mean, just go back. We were talking about the NBA Finals, but go back to Game Six of the Eastern Conference Finals right after the day after the Warriors had clinched their spot in the finals and they were talking on TNT and they're and Draymond Green's like, the Celtics are going to win. Uh, we're going to play the Celtics and the, the Celtics lose game six. And right afterwards, Udonis Haslam, who is basically the elder statesman, he's, he's basically like the fifth coach on the team. He runs over and says, tell Draymond, I said, thank you because we heard what he said and we used it as motivation. Don't be, the people that give other people motivation. If you're going to go after you and see, do it where they can't put it on, on a bulletin board and think about it every single day and prove in an effort to prove you wrong. This happens a lot too. Yeah. We're not going to get into it, but the story of Kevin Durant's burner account on Twitter is one of the great, <laughs> I mean, one of the great stories out there, Kevin Durant apparently like is a huge Twitter troll. <laughs> mm-hmm. Y'all don't be Kevin Durant. Like, right. like, Operate online however you want. There are lots of things I admire about Kevin Durant, but do not be Kevin Durant on the internet. Um, also, he is like he is like Exhibit A of, and, and maybe I'm going to be an old grump here for a second. He is Exhibit A on stay in college, kids. Yeah. Also, here's the thing. Um, this is a saying that I like to say with my friends. On any given day, there's a main character in Twitter, and your goal in life is to never be that main character. Amen, brother. <laughs> I feel like That's I've it. seen I feel like I've seen some discussion recently about people thinking they're the main character, uh, which is also a uh, which is all, don't not great. Yeah. Avoid avoid all all uh, <laughs> all instances of you uh, either becoming or thinking that you are the main character in the story. You are not uh, that that I think is is prudent advice. All right. Let's uh, let, let's talk about the 2023 guys. Jason, I know that you're excited uh, to share some of the progress that Duke's recruits have been making this summer on the summer circuit. So take it away. Yeah. So the uh, EYBL, which is sort of the most elite of the AAU circuits has been going on for a few weeks now. And Sean Stewart, Duke recruit in the class of 2023 is just tearing it up. Dude is like, he is, he he's already was a big time recruit. He was already a five-star recruit. There are a lot of people out there um, who say that, you know, Sean Stone Stewart was like a top 30 recruit when he committed to Duke back around Christmas time. But a lot of folks now saying he's a top 10 recruit and he's playing his way maybe even into the top five. Just getting raves for his motor, his competitiveness, um, his ability to impact things all over the floor. He's averaging on the EYBL better than 10 and a half rebounds per game. That's the second most of anyone at the EYBL. He's averaging more than 14 points per game. He's one of the top shot blockers out there, averaging 1.6 blocks per game. He's hitting 55% of his shots from the field. And those stats, that, that didn't even include his latest game. Last night he played, he had 23 points, 18 rebounds, three steals, and two blocks in his latest game. I'm going to give you those stats again. <laughs> playing against elite high school competition, 23 points, 18 rebounds, three steals, and two blocks. 
Sean Stewart is blowing up on the EYBL. Now, I am here to present the truth. And the truth is not everyone is having a great summer. Uh, Mackenzie Mbako, who is Duke's top recruit in the class of 2023, is struggling a little bit on the EYBL. He's averaging more than 16 points per game, and he's one of the top scorers out there, but he's not doing it in an efficient kind of way. He's only shooting about 39% from the field. He's only hitting 21% of his threes. There are, it is routine. If you look at his box scores to see him shooting like one of seven, one of nine from three point land, not good numbers. At least he knows what he needs to work on <laughs> before arriving on campus. And it is worth noting that the team he is on the New Jersey scholars is 11 and two so far, and clearly one of the best EYBL teams out there. But uh, Mbako is, is, is struggling a little bit with his shot thus far on the EYBL. Um, I also wanted to mention that Jared McCain and Caleb Foster um, have been really busy the past couple of weeks, not on the EYBL, but they've been trying out for the U.S. national team that's going to compete at the under-18 um, championship for the Americas. And um, Caleb Foster got cut, but Jared McCain made the final club, and it's a really nice feather in his cap. He was not expected to be one of the guys to make this team, but he apparently was shooting really, really well. Most of the guys in this team, more than half the guys in the team are class of 2022. They're a year older than Foster and McCain. And so for Jared to get to play with these guys who are a year older than him, for him to be one of the guys to make this elite U.S. national team is a really, really nice, you know, moment for him. And, and Jared McCain, a dude who has a constant smile on his face every moment you see him, I'm sure he is really thrilled to be a part of that. And it's going to be fun. But that tournament's being played in the next couple of weeks in Mexico. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see him really show out there. Um, Tyrese Proctor is over in Australia. And the reports are that he's dominating the competition over there. He's from Australia. Um, he needs to make his way back to the U.S. to the NBA Academy, which is where he plays his ball stateside. But he's just destroying everyone over in Australia. And then the last thing I wanted to mention with the class of 2023, Duke apparently is not done, even though Duke has five elite recruits in the class of 2023, five guys who are all ranked in the top 20 in the class. Duke is not finished just this week. Duke offered 6'11 big man Xavier Booker. Um, Xavier Booker is a really interesting recruit. Um, he is, uh, like I said, he's 6'11, but he has skills to play all over the floor. He is a great outside shooter. He's also an elite shot blocker. Um, he has absolutely shot up the rankings. You don't hear about this kind of thing very often. He was barely in the top 100 just a couple of weeks ago. He's like, you know, 90th or something like that. The most recent rankings from top uh, from 24 seven, which is the top recruiting service out there. They say he's the number four recruit in the country. Dude went from number 90 to number four in just a few weeks. And over the course of the past few weeks, he has gotten offers from Duke, from Kansas, from Texas, all the elite schools are after this guy, but there are folks out there who really think Duke has the inside angle on him. Xavier Booker is a name to watch in the class of 2023. I love the, when the players go on international duty, obviously, you know, I watch soccer all the time and that's a big part of the soccer game. It's not as much a part of basketball to go on international duty and represent your country at any tournament, much like, you know, Olympics or, or you know, world cup or, or basketball championships, but to get that experience is terrific because not only are you, you know, fighting against some of the best in the country and, and you know, America is the best country in the world at basketball, but you're also seeing what, other styles of play can come from, you know, playing other teams in other countries. So I really like that these guys are getting that kind of experience, even if he doesn't make the team, 
getting that experience, I think is very invaluable and it helps to round out guys' game or just to show where they need to improve. And, and I think from there, they take that and really can you know improve much quicker than if they don't get that experience. Jason, I'm a little bummed about the uh, McKenzie and Baco news. Uh, shame that, that he's not performing sort of uh, up to expectations for this summer, but the nice thing is that there's plenty of time for him to improve and, uh, and, and get better throughout his senior season. I am sure that the Duke coaching staff is, is checking in with him and, and hopefully uh, not, not trying to, you know, <laughs> overstep where, uh, where his high school and AAU coaches are, are probably helping him trying to, to work through those issues, but uh, certainly aware of, of what's going on with him and, and maybe be able to give their own input onto, uh, you know, in, in, into how he could improve throughout the next year. It's all about his shooting touch, I think, because he does so many other things so well. And I think he's been trying to sort of expand his arsenal all the way out to the three-point line. Um, and, uh, you know, so far it's not working out great, but, uh, you know, plenty of time before he gets to Durham. Yeah, it, it's a, that's the, the luxury, right, of, of having all those other tools in place uh, really early on as a young man. So, you know, the guy that he's compared to the most, everyone talks about Mbako as the next Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum also struggled some with his perimeter shooting when he was in high school. And he eventually worked his way up to being what he is today, which is truly impressive, which is, and there we go. Hey, full circle. First we team. talked about Jason Tatum at the top of the first team. All NBA. <laughs> and, and Jason Tatum is the, is the star of the Boston Celtics who tip off tonight. I don't know when I'm going to get this episode out at some point today, but the Celtics do tip off tonight against the Golden State Warriors, nine o'clock Eastern time. So East Coast folks, uh, man, we got it rough. We're trying to watch uh, West Coast basketball during the summer. But uh, here we are. Uh, hope Duke fans, other than those who are out in the Bay Area, are uh, rooting for the Celtics and, and rooting for Jason Tatum this week. So uh, we'll be back to talk recruits. We'll be back to talk NBA finals, NBA draft, you name it. If it's related to Duke basketball, we need to cover it. That will do it here, though, for episode 424 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast for Jason Evans, who is renovating his home, for Donald Wine, who owns nothing. I am Sam Klein. We will talk to you again very soon. Duke Band, take us home. Sam, do you own anything? I own a car. <laughs> I own a car. Yeah, Donald owns a car. Um, I think that's the. I don't know if that counts. That it's a. It's a depreciating asset. You. You guys need to join asset me. Nonetheless, you need to join me in the world of <laughs> owing money to other people. Uh, Mortgage, baby. <laughs> uh, not. Nah. <laughs>